Hello, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of the Melantopia podcast. Today is everything about Linux. So this this episode is meant for beginners um, who want to get into Linux for the first time, and and also for people who have more knowledge of Linux, just to to vibe and and reflect on how great Linux is. So before we get into the podcast, let me give quick bios on everyone here. So I am Snow. I am a Twitch streamer and a biologist. I don't have a lot of knowledge about Linux, but I have a little bit of familiarity familiarity with programming just due to my job. And I have with me three guests. So the first guest, Howard, please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Howard. Uh, I like video games. I use Arch Linux. I don't really know anything about myself. Thank you, Howard. What about uh, Harvey? Hello, I'm Harvey. Um, I use Arch Linux, like um, like Howard over here, and I am a student with a grade seven in IT. Now, hot shots. I play video games. Yep, that, that's it. Yep, inspired. Yep. Okay, but you're also you're also an ethical hacker, hot shot. So. Yeah, I wish you could say that. All right, cool. Um, all right, so before we get into why someone would want to switch into Linux, I want to give some disclaimers. So uh, listeners, please back up your data. Don't do anything stupid. Don't delete your hard drive. Um, <laughs> just make sure that everything is adequately backed up because we will not take responsibility for any any loss of data. So before even talking about the history of Linux or how to switch, we want to discuss the advantages of Linux and why someone would want to run Linux over other operating systems. If you're listening to this podcast, um, it's likely you might use Windows or Mac, and you might be curious, like, why would you go through the, the struggle of switching operating systems? So I want to I wanna start with an advantage of Linux, and then we'll go in a round circle and I'll ask each of the guests for another advantage of Linux that they want to highlight. So something that I want to really emphasize um, is Linux is actually less resource intensive than Windows and Mac. So a lot of the more recent versions of Windows and Mac, they have a lot of background processes. They require you know, a stronger computer. And if you have a really old computer running lying around, you can use that um, using Linux. Or if you're into crypto mining, for example, especially if you're mining with your CPU, that is very sensitive to resources being used in the background uh, by background processes that are running in Windows. And if you want to mine the most efficiently, you should be using Linux. Um, but that, that's pretty niche. So Howard, uh, give me another advantage of Linux over other operating systems. I was able to think of a few advantages. One of them is compatibility with hardware. Like, as we were saying, Linux is really lightweight. It can run on anything, basically. There's a lot of distributions of it that can run on, like, things with, I think, 8 megabytes of RAM. I forget. Uh, another thing is you have control over it. You could do whatever you want with it. You, there's no limitations, really. And it's really efficient, like what you were saying, cryptocurrency, uh, mining cryptocurrency, sorry. Uh, it's really efficient. There's no uh, hardware. It doesn't drag you down like Windows does, because Windows has a lot of background processes that you, you don't know of. Mm -hmm. And it's modular, but that goes back to 
control of the system. Like, you just do whatever you want with it. And there's a lot of software that's made for it being modular. And it's open source. So you see what goes into your system. There's no telemetry, no spyware. It's really great. Mm-hmm. Right. So some some listeners might be confused on what it, what is telemetry exactly and why should we care about that? Telemetry is software that reports data about your system constantly to a database. Mm-hmm. And that drags down the performance of a lot of Windows and Mac systems. Right. So, Harvey, do you have anything to add about the advantages of Linux? Um. Yeah, so I, I use Linux on the daily. And, you know, if, if I'm in a rush, I, I, have a, I, call, I mostly carry around a laptop with me, mainly for schoolwork. If I'm in a rush, I don't have to wait for Windows to start up. You know, it takes 30 seconds for Arch Linux to boot. And in minus KDE, um, the laptop is almost four years old now. Mm-hmm. And it takes a good few minutes for Windows to boot up. So it's great, you know, booting speeds are faster. Right. Uh, most most of the points I think Howard has covered. Right. Um, like I also crypto mine. Like um there's a Linux distribution called RagerX and it's just for crypto mining. Mm-hmm. And it tells you more about, you know, what your system is doing when mining compared to mining in Windows. Mm-hmm. It can tell you the temperature without having to open up Task Manager, stuff like that. That's excellent. Hasha, do you have anything to add, especially from your perspective of like Linux hacking? Is not, Linux is not spyware. Like it doesn't. It's not taking your data like Windows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a very good point. All right, so. Now that we've gone over the advantages of Linux, I also want to point out that, that there are a lot of viruses and malware that affects Windows and to a lesser oh, extent Mac. Right? Yeah, it's so easy to get with viruses on Windows, like anything could be virus basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Honestly, or hidden code. That that's a point that a lot of people say, but I feel like if Linux were mainstream and Windows weren't, it'd be the yeah. other way around it. Oh yeah, Howard, your mic is a little quiet. Oh. Uh, I feel like it's just, if Linux were mainstream, there would be way more viruses targeting Linux because it's the most popular platform. Right. It's just like that for Windows. That makes sense. So I suppose it's sort of like, we just lucked out in a way. Yeah. But um, now now that we've gone over the advantages, I want to discuss the history of Linux. So here I'm going to briefly go over a very basic history and if anyone has anything to add, please, please chip in. And also basic terms that you might run into um, as someone getting into Linux. So Linux is based on an operating system called Unix, which was first released in 1970. Um, the main innovation of Unix is that it was written in the language C, which allowed it to be portable and used on other operating systems because back then a lot of or sorry a lot of hard other hardware back then a lot of operating systems were written specifically for a certain hardware and so that made it difficult um, to actually make it more widespread and in the 70s um, there was something else developed called the Berkeley Software Distribution or BSD which was based on one of the uh, one of the releases of Unix. Um, and funny enough, Mac 
Mac OS is based on something that came out of the Berkeley software distribution. One of the disadvantages of Unix is it's called closed source. So that means you don't have access to the code, like you can't see what makes up Unix. And there's this guy named Richard Stallman who started something called the GNU project. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. The, the G is pronounced. Um, and his goal was he wanted to make a free operating system that was similar to Unix, but he wanted to make it, you know, open source. Um, and he made quite a lot of uh, programs for it, but he wasn't able to make like the heart of the operating system, which is called the kernel. Um, and they attempted to make a GNU kernel called Herd, but this pretty much failed, sadly. Um, however, there was a very cool person, Linus Torvalds, who created a, a Unix-like kernel, and it would later be named Linux because it was based on Unix, but it was created by someone named Linus. Um, and combining the Linux kernel with GNU, I think she created Linux as, as we know it today. Um, and of course, since then, there have been so many developments in Linux. And one of the biggest ones is, one of the biggest differences also is that there are many distros of Linux. So can can someone explain what a distro is, like Hotshot or Harvey? Mm, they're, they're like uh, different like versions. Like there's Arc mm -hmm. and there's the, there's the Kali, I don't know. I don't um, so a distribution of Linux is a type of Linux which can either use the standard Linux kernel or a different or customized Linux kernel. So, for example, the Linux kernel uses uh, the Arch Linux kernel. Sorry, mm -hmm. um, uses it uses the Arch one. Uh, there's a whole repo for that one on GitHub, um, and other ones such as DBN use their own, etc. And dis distributions are like the flavors of Linux. Mm -hmm. um, for some, like DBN, they come with desktop environments pre-installed. Uh, stuff like Arch, very minimalist. You get, you know, terminal, and that's essentially it. That's one of the peculiarities of Linux because in Windows, there's not really distros. There's not really this this concept of compatibility. And yeah, just so that you know what a distro is, it is essentially like a flavor of Linux that allows you to customize what Linux can do for you. And another important term that you might run into getting into Linux is called the GNU General Public License. So, Hotshot, can you say anything about that? Oh, um, not honestly, not really. I, I don't use Kali. I don't. Um. I so know. the the GPO license is something that I used one of my recent projects, um, AURPM, an Arch Linux package manager. Um, the general, some I forgot the name. Uh, G, but G, the GPO license. It's like the, it's more advanced. So it allows people to copy your code, but can't claim it as their own code. Mm -hmm. So it it's more protective of open source projects, unlike the MIT one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's it. That makes sense. But it is very interesting because I think it, it sort of promotes people building like their own creative things, but not also not having to worry about like the restrictions of copyright. 
and such. It also doesn't have to worry about if he's, a, you don't like have to worry about big companies saying, oh, that's a good idea. Can yeah. Just... Mm -hmm. It's more like individual in that sense. And mm -hmm. and lastly, I want to discuss the, the mascot of Linux. Um, oh, Howard, yeah. would you like to talk about the mascot of Linux? Um, well, getting water. Sorry, the microphone itself was oh, muted. Oh, no worries. Okay, so tell us about um, Tux. I don't know much about the history, but I know it was based on this drawing right here. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, so... Just a vibe and penguin. Right, so the mascot of, of Linux is a penguin called Tux, which is, it's very adorable, I think. And, and that makes it, you know, I think that makes it quite peculiar among operating systems as well, because it's this immediately recognizable like symbol of, of what linux stands for and it's also howard's profile picture wait what is that what is that that's the mascot for darwin which is what mac os is based on oh i had no idea there was like a demonic platypus <laughs> it's based on uh beastie which is the mascot of freebsd mm -hmm. that's pretty cool actually Hold on. <laughs> beastie boys yeah this is beastie oh i see no, why, why is it like satanic? No clue, but it's just a vibing devil. Mm -hmm. I like the platypus though. Yeah. All right, so we've gone over some of the terminology of Linux. Now I want to discuss one of the most important first decisions that you will make if you want to get into Linux, which is choosing the right distro, which is a very interesting topic because there are so many to choose from and it depends on what you want out of Linux. So let's first talk about some of the more, I wouldn't say basic, I would say more like user-friendly uh, distros. So Debian, Ubuntu, and Linux Mint, which are all pretty related to one another. Um, Debian is the is a distro that I started on with Howard's guidance. Um, but if you like just browse Linux forums, you'll see a lot of people talking about Ubuntu. So does anyone want to discuss Ubuntu and how it relates to Debian? Uh, I'll talk about it. Okay. Ubuntu is a Linux distribution based on Debian. It was made for easier, like it was more, it was supposed to be more user-friendly and it got really popular off of that. And it was, a lot of people started using it for desktop. And that's actually what Steam uses as like a benchmark. Well, not really mm -hmm. a benchmark. It's what they use to test Steam in their games on oh, it. Oh, wow. So it's like the threshold for their Linux distributions, I guess. That's and really cool. I'm not the biggest fan of Ubuntu. It, it's cool. It, it, it does its job. But I don't like that it's supported by a corporation, Canonical. And yeah. a lot of people dub it the the microsoft of linux distribution oh gosh that that's pretty harsh it also has i believe uh some telemetry as well mm -hmm. so it if uh, it, it phones home some information and it's opt out instead of opt in like kde it has opt in telemetry mm -hmm. so i i'm not opted in and no one has complained about kde having opt-in telemetry right but DBN, uh, not DBN, sorry, Ubuntu has opt-out telemetry, and I don't think that's good. Right, because that, that sort of puts the uh, the burden on the user to opt-out, right? Because... Yeah. Yeah. You have to exactly. actually opt-out instead of, you know, opting in. Mm -hmm. Right, so... And, and Linux Mint, I believe, is a is a more recent 
like fork of Debian, or it's quite similar to um, Ubuntu, but it's supposed to be even more user friendly and like even more like, for example, I think the application manager in Ubuntu is sort of resource intensive and clunky and Linux mints improves on that. So if you're looking for like a more beginner friendly dish show, I, I've read articles like recommending a Linux mint. And another um, historically important dish show is Red Hats, which is actually used by a lot of corporations and companies. Like it's called an, an enterprise type of uh, dish show. And it's like counterpart is CentOS, which is sort of like less corporate version of it. Does anyone want to want to discuss like Red Hat and CentOS and, and uh, their differences? Sure. Yeah. So Red Hat is its own company mm -hmm. and they support their distribution, Red Hat Enterprise Linux. And it's open source. It's completely open source. So someone could take the code and build their own Red Hat and not have to pay. Mm -hmm. And that's what CentOS did. And they started distributing their own uh, Red Hat version for free. And you'd expect Red Hat, the company, not to like that, but they actually supported it. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I think that really, that touches on some of the philosophies of Linux, right? That it's not all about like greed, rah, this is mine. You know, if, if other people want to build on something that you created, you're supportive of that. Yeah. Oh, and that's, mm -hmm. I forgot to mention something. The reason why people would pay for Red Hat instead of using CentOS for free is the support. Red Hat has really good support. Mm -hmm. uh, CentOS has none, basically. It, it's oh. CentOS is based on, I think, Fedora? No, I think it's downstream Fedora. I'm not sure. It just doesn't have as good support as Red Hat does. Right. That makes sense. And... All right, so th those are some interesting distros that you may want to look into. I want to discuss some more specialized distros, especially ones that are used by by the uh, the speakers of the Melantopia podcast. So first, um, I want to discuss Kali because Hotshot hasn't really spoken in a bit. So Hotshot, tell me about why you chose Kali. What are the capabilities of Kali, and what might a user be looking for? Oh, uh, for like Kali, you want to be looking for like nothing bad I, I can't really say anything without getting in trouble like white hack purposes you can go like search for people's accounts on twitter mm -hmm. it's just well, you so it's more of like stuff. a a security slash like hacking specialized yeah uh, because then people will like really go do bad stuff so i don't want that to happen oh i feel like we can go into a few details though like you can look uh, for open ports and you can look for like for example something interesting that i think howard did is that you can look for other like with with starting with a minecraft server you can see what other minecraft servers are somehow connected to it mm -hmm. using college you could um also like I... you know whenever you get like scam phone calls yeah you up the phone numbers from the scam mm -hmm. phone calls and like see where they're at and all that oh see that that's quite useful like obviously we don't want to sorry there's thunder outside we don't yeah, want to in... in my house so that's what i'm not talking about oh you're fine um we obviously don't want to encourage people to go like hacking their neighbor but it's really important to be aware of you know, countermeasures if someone is attempting something against you. 
and knowing the capabilities. You can also Instagram also, like basically what I said here, I'll send a video, I guess. Mm -hmm. There's also send more advanced, um, yeah, uh, well, let's call advanced. it penetration testing distributions. Right. Um, more advanced, such as Black Arch, which is based on Arch Linux, and also ParrotOS, which I've never used before, but I heard mm -hmm. Parrot's OS is quite good. Right. So penetration testing is it's a term referring to looking for the vulnerabilities in your in your network. And it's not just like a niche hobby. It's actually a whole industry like you can be employed. you could actually make like serious money from yeah. that. Like people could hire you like a company like Nike exactly. and see what they could do. Because but cyber... then there comes gray hats, which they do that stuff just for fun. <laughs> yeah, but just just but they in don't general... take anything. Then mm -hmm. there's black hats, and they take stuff, like, they take a lot of stuff, right? honestly. But just thinking about, like, you know, possible career paths, like, someone might be really interested in penetration testing, and since cybersecurity is such a big issue nowadays, that would mean you'd be hired by a company to look for vulnerabilities and make sure that they're resistant to getting hacked or DDoSed or anything. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, it's began DDoSing. So, don't DDoS anybody that's yeah do not DDoS anyone that is very bad. illegal um <laughs> debatable debatable so now i want to discuss arch linux since we've mentioned it multiple times and arch is you know a favorite dish among among the other hosts of the podcast so does anyone want to give a rundown on arch in terms of well, yeah go um, ahead arch linux is more of an advanced distro so it's more make it yourself. It can be very customized. Um, so the, the basics I'm going to talk about are the package manager. So mm -hmm. the package manager is referred to Pac-Man. It's written in C, and it's how you know install applications such as Discord, and you know it's a key ingredient in Arch. And then you've got stuff like the AUR or the Arch user repository, mm -hmm. and it's it it's like a a big database of code made by the Arch Linux community, which you can download, make yourself, and then install via Pac-Man. Right. Um, it's, uh, it's very lightweight as well. I, I think that, that goes back to some of the advantages of Linux over Windows as well. Like installing things in Windows is quite a process, but in Linux, you simply type you sim simply type a few words into the command line and you can install things like extremely fast. And so. Are you gone? Oh no! I was just gonna say it, it's also really easy to update things like via the via the terminal. In yeah. Linux. So, so when you when you update your system with Pac-Man, it updates even the apps itself. Mm -hmm. So, if I want to update, for example, Firefox, I just type in Pac-Man dash capital S Y U. It updates the kernel and every other app I need or yeah. have installed, unless it's on the AUR. Right, and that's incredibly user-friendly, especially if yeah. you have many, many things to update, or if they update frequently, then, yeah, that's absolutely a must. Yeah. And, and Arch, how, how did you get into Arch originally? Well, I've always had, like, a soft spot for open, lightweight distros. Like, um, the first ever distro I tried to use was Manjaro. Mm -hmm. And I've always stuck with Manjaro. I haven't tried, you know, like stuff like Debian or Ubuntu much. I've made virtual machines of them, but I've tried stuff like 
uh, Solus mm-hmm. and um, trying to name them. There's so many I've tried to use that I, I can't name off the head, but the main ones I remember and I had fun with was Manjaro, Arch, and Solus. Right. And that, I, they've got a soft spot with me, and that and I've, I've stuck with Arch since Manjaro. Mm-hmm. What about Arch? Really appealed to you over other um, distros? Um, the package manager. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the AUR. Yeah. So. If I if I ever wanted something that wasn't on stuff like DBM, it was going to be on the AUR. I found, mm-hmm. um, such so, such as stuff like Solus as well. Um, I, there were some packages I wanted on there, and I I couldn't find them. And then I tried Arch, and they were there. What are some so, of your favorite packages? We should we should all talk about like our favorite things, our favorite packages. Oh, I have to check this. I um, I've got loads of them. Harvey, what about your catchphrase for the AUR? If it's not on the AUR, it's nowhere. <laughs> um, hmm. I, I'm looking through all my. Oh, one of my favorite packages has to be, um. Fetch cord. Mm-hmm. So it is um. So if I. It, it how can I say this? It gives you information on your system on your Discord profile. Right. So on my Discord profile now there should be information about my system. I have to turn off Visual Studio Code. Hold on. Okay. So see, Arch Linux shows you my kernel and how many packages I've got. Right. And that's that's something on the AUR and it's a package. There's also stuff like console um with a k mm-hmm. uh, it's part of the plasma meta group i think oh is that related or... to plasma kde yeah mm-hmm. and that's it's a really good um terminal i would say yeah that's really awesome i have some i have some favorite packages in r when sad because like, i use r for everything but like one of my favorite is um it's called heatmap 3 so in biology especially bioinformatics um you often have data with thousands of variables across like you know 10 or 12 or 20 samples and so with a normal graph you might depict like one or two variables um at a time but in a heat map you can depict thousands or tens of thousands of variables at once and Heatmap three is just, it's incredibly lightweight. It's it's so fast, and you can easily visualize your data that way. But I I do not have the same like level of you know package knowledge as uh as the others in the What's podcast. What's that package name? Heatmap three. It's an R. Thank you. I I want to look at this. Um, yeah. There was something else I was gonna say. Ah, yes. Um, why setting up things on Linux can be easier than on Windows. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I made Windows, um, I, I wanted a, a Python program called NumPy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I never managed to get it working. But on Linux, I just had to type in the package name in Pac-Man, which was Python-NumPy. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Off to yeah. the races, I could do what I want with it. That's amazing. But, yeah, and I, I couldn't. I 
never figured out how to do it on Windows. Mm-hmm. Still don't know to this day. <laughs> yeah, it's just so much easier to like install and update everything. It's so much more mm. user friendly. So I, I kind of wish that um, like uh, in middle school, high school, they would in- encourage learning about Linux and using Linux. So I'll actually talk about that a bit later because I know Hotshot has been involved in like education. Um, but before we get into that, I want to discuss some obscure uh, and niche distros. Um, I know Howard has been exploring those. So I, I want to talk about Red Star, which is the North Korean Linux distro. Can you can you discuss that, Howard? Red Star is, again, a North Korean distro. I don't know much about the history, mm-hmm. but it's really interesting. It's based on the Linux 2.6 kernel, at least Red Star 2.0. I don't know about 3.0. I need to get a virtual machine of that, but 2.0, it's really interesting. It's based on, I think, Fedora. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of like a a time, what, what's it called? Like a relic. Yeah. A time capsule. It, it is. Even though it has like a, a, a I'll say shady history. <laughs> There's been many, many updates of uh, Fedora since then. Yeah, I think that was I think that Red Star, the Linux version, was in like 2006. Mm-hmm. That's pretty epic. What about the Hannah Montana distro? Oh, Hannah Montana Linux. I think that was made by some dad to mm-hmm. encourage Linux to his daughter. I'm not sure. I I heard the same story because that that's about around the time when Hannah Montana was very uh, popular among the youth. And so um, everyone wanted to appeal to uh, younger kids and tell them, yeah, you should use Linux. It's a lot safer than (laughs) Windows, but hey, you have to use a pop star, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, unfortunate. Yeah, there's so many distributions. Like every Mm -hmm. distribution serves a purpose. You got the desktop ones, server ones, penetration testing ones, security. Then you got right. Hannah Montana Linux. Yeah, of course. <laughs> An- another ex- uh, obscure Linux distribution is Clear Linux. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking at its its reviews. Um, it only gets under a hundred views. Yeah. Like four weeks ago, it hit 101 views. Oh wow! In total, and it, it's very obscure. And judging by the looks of it, it seems pretty good. You know, mm-hmm. these sometimes these obscure Linux distributions are, you know, really good for people. Yeah, they um, just don't have as much, like, you know, publicity behind them. Yeah. Yeah. Hot I think that's how every distribution starts, because Arch Linux was really obscure in its beginning. It mm-hmm. was just created because uh, the creator of it was tired of how, I think it was how bloated stuff like Debian and Slackware were. Yeah. But I think that, you know, its popularity arose from people recognizing how powerful it was and what, what it was capable of doing. Oh, wait, so it, the name Arch came from Arch Enemy? What? <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. I did not know that. Oh, we're, we're learning the history of Arch. All right. So those, again, those are some dishes that I that we would highly recommend people people look looking into so debian um kali arch although those latter two are a bit more advanced um but certainly debian and linux mints um have been highly recommended so now we want to talk about how to actually 
install uh, Linux there issues. Are there are many, many ways. ways. So I wanna it's I wanna common. discuss um, the first the first way, probably the easiest way for um, newcomers would be using a virtual machine. So mm -hmm. the, you don't have to switch to OS completely. Yeah, exactly. So if you're but booted, there are some benefits with going for our clinics. Yeah, there are, which we will discuss later. But in a virtual machine, the concept is that you you, do, you stay in your current OS that you're booted into. So whether you're in Windows 10 or Mac, whatever, um, you download a container sort of program, and that you can load in an ISO. Um, Basically, of... you have your guest, you've got your own computer, which is your mm -hmm. Windows, the yeah. host, and then you have the other computer. So yeah, with a virtual machine, you stay booted into current OS, and you have a program that acts as a container that you load an ISO of a Linux show into, and you can easily download those for free. Um, Go search on DuckDuckGo. You can easily find Debian or Ubuntu distros or, that you download. Or DistroWatch, um, distrowatch.com. It's, mm -hmm. it's a website with a decent database of most Linux dis uh, distributions and even BSD ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, distrowatch.com. That's an excellent resource. Um, so in terms of... VMs, does anyone have any tips and tricks of making virtual machines work better? Because one of the disadvantages is that it might it might be a little bit slower because you're essentially running this with a subset of your total system That's memory. That's just a fallback you have to take, though. Like, mm -hmm. um, well, you could always try KVM or kernel virtual machines. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not really experienced in kernel, kernel level virtual machines think that's it but um i know they're they're faster mm -hmm. um also yeah i think that's it also passing through um hardware so on my system i have uh a passed through gpu so if i want to you know game while on linux mm -hmm. i can load up a virtual machine of windows 10 pass through a gpu and have the the power of that GPU available for Windows to use completely. That's pretty excellent. And dual GPU is better though, because then you need to one to your host and one to your guest. You'd yeah. Need, the issue is you need two GPUs, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. no, no, no. That you oh, can um. It's kind of. You can pass through your G a single GPU. Oh, I see. So, I see. um, so you can use a single GPU, but for people, it's more it's more complex. I've I've done the single GPU pass through. Uh, mm -hmm. Took a while, but um, it it works. I have to say, I I don't see I don't get slowdowns. Um, but games such that like use anti cheats such as EAC mm -hmm. or um, Battle Eye. I I don't I can't play those games because oh, then yeah, I'll yeah. get banned. Right, because they'll detect the that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is quite unfortunate. Well, what virtual machines do you recommend? Uh, I think I've only ever seen. Well, when I was using one, I only used one. I do not remember the name of it. VirtualBox. Yeah, VirtualBox. Yeah, it was well, something. There's VMware and VirtualBox. I mm -hmm. VMware. There's also one that um. So I use VirtualBox and an obs or I want to say obscure one, but one that the the name I can't get off the top of my head. But Howard uses it. Mm -hmm. Uh, in VirtualBox, and it's very good. It gives you more control over the VM. Um. 
I will. I'm gonna search up the name for it now. Okay. Um. Where is it? Where is it? <laughs> ah, Q U M E. Q U M E. No, Q E M U. Q E M U. Yeah, can be used to uh, virtualize ISOs. Mm -hmm. um, there's another one with a whole environment. I don't think I can get the name off right now. All right. So in sum, VMware, VirtualBox, and QEMU, those are all pretty good virtual machines that we would recommend uh, our listeners to to try out. Virtual machine, I think I would say, mm -hmm. like hosters. They don't. They're not the actual virtual machines. Stuff like Windows, you can virtualize mm -hmm. using um, those those programs. Right. All right. And aside from virtual machines, there are many other ways to use Linux. Um, Hotshot mentioned that there are many. And so aside from virtual machines, you could also boot from a USB drive. So. Or yeah, that's possible. Yeah, I, yeah. Let's talk about this before talking about like dual boot and stuff. So, would anyone like to discuss the procedure of booting from a USB drive? Um. Well, how I would do it. it so I norm I use Belena Etcher to burn ISOs, not burn, but put ISOs onto a USB drive. Mm -hmm. Um. I do I I do this because mainly, of course, I am uh, a miner. I mine cryptocurrencies, mm -hmm. and. I I have like a PC, got no hard drive, and I, I need these USBs with ISOs on them to boot to. So, um, my one of my mining rigs has um a USB with running Rager X. Right. Um. And the procedure that I, I normally do is, you know, put the but I'm just gonna say burn. It's the word the terminology isn't burning. I think, uh, but I'd it's put the watching. ISO. Flash, yeah, yeah, flashing. flashing. Mm -hmm. I flash the ISO on the USB drive, and enable USB booting in the BIOS of the machine. Right. And then turn it on, and any configuration I need to do, I will do after the system's booted if there's an issue, and off to the races really. Mm -hmm. After that. Yeah. So I mean, the advantages of using USB, although it takes some more time to set up, and you cannot use your you know, pre-existing OS at the same time, like you can use your entire system's resources. And yeah, it's also a lot safer um, in terms of like, if you're using certain security oriented um, dish shows, sometimes uh, booting from USB drive is the only way to go and you're not supposed to use a VM for it. Just um, Tails. Tails. Tails yeah, I was trying not to say Tails. <laughs> but yes, um, Tails. Yeah, so... Tails is a privacy-focused distribution. Mm -hmm. um, that's yeah. it, really. The the amnesiac incognito live system, indeed. And yeah, so that you wouldn't be able to... It, it's an example of a show. You can't use a virtual machine to go into. Um, you have to boot from a USB drive. A, a, a quick tip for people that aren't experienced with USB booting is if you're having issues such as secure boot errors, just turn off secure booting. Because if the machine came with windows it probably has secure boot on for windows 10 mm -hmm. so it's best to disable that Ew, windows 10 windows 10 is <laughs> us yeah 
Next, I want to discuss dual booting. So how does dual booting, which is another way, yet another way to uh, load up a Linux distro, how does that differ from virtual machines and using a USB? What um, are the pros and cons also? Well, I, I, I dual boot. I have Windows and Linux installed, Arch Linux. Mm -hmm. um, so dual booting gives you multiple ways to use your system. Mm -hmm. um, like window has my Windows installation has one drive, and Linux has another. Oh, um, nice! And I've had to make my Linux system have more compatibility for drives that Windows owns, such as installing NTFS three G. But mm -hmm. that's really it. But a pro with rebooting is if you're only looking to game on like. If you want to use, if you want to play games that have anti cheats that don't have Linux support or ban virtual machines, dual booting is good for you because right. you can, you know, turn off your computer, save all your work, turn off your computer, then turn it back on again. Mm -hmm. And in, for example, Grub for me, um, select Windows and, you know, you're off to the races, you can play mm -hmm. Fortnite. Or any other game, right? Such as Apex Legends. Exactly. That, that's another topic I want to get into. Actually, it's the the penultimate topic of our podcast. Is uh, I think the major concern that people might have about switching to Linux is that there are some there may be some compatibility issues where you won't be able to run certain applications, play certain games. Um, so what are the main ways? Of course, you can simply dual boot, which means that when you start up your computer, it'll ask you whether you want to boot into Linux or Windows. But let's say you're on Linux right now. What are your ways of accessing a Windows-specific application? Um, you, uh. Can, uh, you can use a program called Wine. Mm -hmm. um, it's... I don't know really how to explain it. I'm going to give this off to Howard to explain. All right. Wine is a compatibility tool for running Windows applications on Linux-based operating systems. And it was used in Valve's Proton project, which is a great tool for gaming on Linux, which it basically mixes Wine and DXVK, which translate DirectX, which is Windows only, to Vulkan, which is cross-compatible. Mm -hmm. That's pretty excellent. Yeah, I, I want to also... I want to throw back to the what the wine means. Wine is actually, I think it's called the backronym. It's the, the, it means wine is not an emulator, so it, it doesn't emulate like Windows. Like for example, if you want to play Nintendo DS games, you'd use an you'd use like an emulator. But it's it actually like I believe it translates like Windows AP call, API calls into something Linux can understand, and through that you can play a lot of Windows games. Mm. It's pretty cool. Speaking API calls. If you are looking to use uh, Steam Proton, um, you kernel your kernel has a lot to decide in the FPS you get. Mm -hmm. So, um, for me, I have my own custom Arch kernel with some you know differences to the base kernel, which I use as Zen. Mm -hmm. If you want to game with the, on Linux with Proton, I'd recommend different kernels, such as the Zen kernel. Yeah. Or one that Valve produces, uh, I believe it's Linux dash fsync, right? Uh, and it's it's a patch to the kernel, 
that has better support for stuff for I forget it, but it, it has um, better support for Proton mm-hmm. uh, and its calls. I think uh, the F-Sync kernel provides patches for NVIDIA cards. I'm not sure. Um, I believe that does as well. Yeah, oh. and most of the F-Sync patches are packaged inside the Zen kernel, and I would highly recommend the Zen kernel. I, I use my own kernel mm-hmm. with the Zen kernel, you know, hardened, con- uh, hard some hardened patches as well to make make it more suitable for my use that makes sense okay so as basically like you can use wine in order to circumvent any compatibility issues and it's pretty user-friendly also so i wouldn't recommend worrying about games that you can't play although there are some exam there there are some games that you can't simply wine your way into playing um, and we mentioned those earlier. There are some games with a pretty invasive anti-cheat system that you'd have to use other methods other than Wine to play on Linux. So can we quickly discuss those? So anti-cheat such as Vanguard mm-hmm. um, is a kernel. It's a kernel level anti-cheat, and that won't sim- that simply won't work on I, Linux. Mm-hmm. I still recommend using Vanguard no matter what. Mm. And m- most people for another place. Most people don't like this kernel level driver right. for anti cheat, such as Badline. Also, um, Badline also has a kernel level anti cheat, um, BAC Badline anti cheat. Right, and that that won't work with stuff like Wine. It, it's because... very strange to me. Like, why would you give an anti cheat so much power over your system? Because people developing cheats are make are trying to beat the anti-cheat mm-hmm. and making their cheats to the kernel level so right. um i would say i don't have experience in cheating in most games so uh, this is a base this is like a very i'll say basic understanding but if you want to cheat in a game with a kernel level anti-cheat you'd have to have a a cheat inside uh, a cheat on the kernel level as well mm-hmm. right to, makes sense you know at least attempt to circumvent the kernel level anti-cheat for the last uh, topic of the podcast i want to go into what the future holds for linux so currently linux is i would say it's fairly commonly used among developers the last time i saw a server i think there were around 25 percent of respondents on Stack Overflow or Stack Exchange that said they use Linux compared to 25% Mac, 50% Windows. I'm sure among the general population, the proportion of people using Linux is lower than 25%. So what do you all think about more widespread adoption of Linux by the general public? And also, what have you done? Because I know Hotshot has actually been involved in this. What have you done to you know, get more people to use Linux? Um, so, school came out to me and they were like, oh, hey, by the way, we're thinking about going to Linux. I was like, oh, that would actually be really smart, okay? Then I actually want to get this one. That I'm going to it. But they were, like, asking me about all this stuff. I recommended using Debian just because it would be the easiest for them to learn. Mm-hmm. Well, for new people in Linux. And it would also take less time to install all that. Right. How how long does it take to install? Uh, I'm I'm not sure on that. I mean, it would just like take a few VM. minutes, wouldn't it? Yeah, like With not VM, even. 
a few minutes for him. It's really lightweight. Yeah. Yeah. I I installed Arch Linux on a a school PC. Just a single one. I remember um, that. Yeah. Um, I got the the PC was decommissioned anyway. They were probably going to throw it away. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I, I showed them what Linux can do to old machines. Yeah. Um, I hope they were impressed, but I I don't know. I can't <laughs> I can't speak for other people. Um, I had thirty minutes to do it, mm-hmm. and it took around twenty. Nice. Debian actually takes a lot more time to install. Well, oh. that's if you're not taking any time when you're installing Arch, because mm-hmm. my Usually when I install Arch, it takes around 5 to 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And Debian, it installs a lot of packages when uh, you install Debian. Arch, you only install what you want. And that's another great thing about it. You have more oh, control. That makes sense, in the actually. Process. Okay, scratch, scratch what I said. I was wrong. But <laughs> still, the overall message is it's not something that, like, if you as a listener are, are witnessing this podcast, this is not something to to be scared of or intimidated by. It's quite user friendly. Like it might take a little bit of time your first time, but you will thank us later. Another great tool for Arch that they just added to the latest Arch installation image is Arch install, mm-hmm. and it's more of like a guided process for installing Arch. And I think that's really great, especially for newcomers. Yeah. I don't like it. I don't like that method. Mm-hmm. It's just. It, it takes the glory out of installing Arch for me. I right. don't use it, but I think it's just a great tool for newcomers. I, I, I didn't... It, so when I, I had a, I made, had to make a custom Arch ISO to install it on a school PC because the school PC... it first For the first couple minutes of, you know, installing it, it had no internet. So th- that was a, a big issue. And mm-hmm. the install script, I just didn't like it. I, I didn't use it, but I just don't like the idea of having, you know... It there, right? It almost if you're like... gonna if, if you're gonna use Arch, you know, you, you need to not you can't just use a simple script. You have to do a lot more. Right. Those are both very valid viewpoints. On the one hand, like it might be easier for newcomers, but if you're already familiar with Linux, then to get the full experience of Arch, you'd want to do it yourself. All right. So, are there any like final remarks for our audience about getting started with Linux? Um, Linux isn't scary. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not. It, it's not something big, bad. Some distros are more complicated. Arch is very do-it-yourself. But yeah, stuff do like it. stuff like DBN. It's it's simple. Mm-hmm. Any other uh, last remarks from Hotshot or Howard? Oh no. I just have to say I'm excited for what the future holds for Linux. Mm-hmm. Stuff like gaming, it's improving every day with stuff like Wine, EAC, and Proton. Yeah. That'll be amazing. We can all play like all the same games someday. We'll be united. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Howard, you need to jewel boot. No. Okay. Thank yes. you. Thank you everyone for listening to the podcast. We'll see you on next episode. Bye. Adios. Ciao. See you.